0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Uh, I'm going to do my best to be brief this evening, but I want to talk to us from the subject of reacting the right way. Reacting the right way. That'll be. We're going to read this evening from the book of. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from verse 4 as you find that. Life has been said that it's about 10% action, and it's about 90% reaction. In other words, uh, there's 10% of life that really takes place, and the, the other 90% of this life we spend reacting to what happened in that 10%. And so I think it is very important for us, especially as children of God, to be very conscious and to be very aware of how we respond to situations, whether they be good, bad, or indifferent, that arise in our life. And I just want to take a look at Paul's formula. And keep in mind while we read this this evening that uh, as many of his writings, Paul speaks to us uh, from behind bars, so it's a little bit difficult to understand what he is saying when he says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice because we all know very well that sometimes it is a difficult task to rejoice when everything around us seems to be falling apart. Book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, if you have that, say amen. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. In the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So Paul gives us this list of things that we can stack up. And if any of them's good, Paul says, think on them. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you father i love you i'm so thankful for the privilege to be in this place tonight i'm so thankful that you allow us to come before you that we can offer up praise and adoration and then break open this bread of life and i ask that you anoint us as a congregation tonight that you open our hearts and our minds to receive what you would have for us to hear speak into our life tonight father in the name of jesus christ amen amen Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, how did you react today? Amen. I'm going to ask Sister Osborne to, I I don't post these on the, Multimedia very much. I just study this in my private, but I wanted you to read this with me. This is from the Message Bible, uh, the same passage of Scripture that we just read. And last night, I just found this intriguing at uh, how the writer had kind of flipped this around in something that I could really understand. He said, "Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet." That you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. Don't fret or worry instead of worrying, pray. Let petition and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. How many's got some worry? I've got some worry, and it's wonderful when when Christ can displace that. Summing it all up, friends, I say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, and authentic, compelling, gracious—the best, not the worst the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmony. So Paul is expressing to us how we can obtain all of these characteristics through Jesus Christ, and by doing this, he's going to help us to Perhaps respond to situations, even situations of uh, of turmoil or chaos. He will help us when there seems to be no right way. He'll He'll help us act right in a right way. I I don't know if I if I heard this or if I read this, and if it's nothing new to you. Forgive me for repeating it tonight. But uh, and and I don't know how much validity might be to this story. But I thought about a story that I heard or read the other day, and it said this this certain individual. And we'll call him Sam. Sam was in this community and he was just really, he was fishing and he was he was tearing them up. Everybody else would come to the boat ramp and they would have two or three fish on the stringer. But every day Sam come in, Sam just brought in a boatload. He had a, a pile of fish he was bringing home. And everybody was trying to figure out what Sam was doing that made him such, such an avid fisherman and it made him so much head and shoulders above everyone else. Well, all the talk around town got the attention of the local game warden. So he waited at the boat ramp one day for Sam, and he said, Sam, what are you doing different that these other guys ain't doing? How, how are you bringing in this big catch every time you come in? Sam says, I just have some unique uh, tactics that I implement when I fish. And the game warden says, well, I want to see what these are, and then I want to go with you. Sam said, all right, you'll be here in the morning at daylight, and you can go with me. They met in the morning and as they headed out on, on their journey, they got to where they Sam deemed a, a good spot to fish and he assumed his position in his captain chair by his trolling motor and he opened up his tackle box and he pulled out a stick of dynamite and he lit it and he threw it in the water. A pile of fish floated to the top. So Sam goes around with his net and he's scooping them up. After the game warden picks himself up off the deck of the boat. He's, he's going ballistic. He's hollering. He's carrying on. He's, he's going to arrest Sam. He's going to take his boat. He's going to take his truck. Uh, he's really messed up. Sam reaches down in the tackle box and pulls out another stick of dynamite. He throws lights it, and he throws it into the lap of the game warden. And so the game warden he ceases all of his commotion. and He's standing and standing there looking at this stick of dynamite, and he's trying to think what he's going to do. And Sam says, "Are you going to fuss and complain all day, or are you going to fish?" And so my point is, this in just a split second, in just a split second, this poor warden was left with a fast decision. He he had to make it. He was yanked in one second. He was an observer into a participant and And you know, I know we laugh, but life is like that. A few days <laughs> few days pass by that we don't come face to face with an uninvited, unanticipated, yet unavoidable situation or a decision that we have to make. Sometimes it seems like a crashing thunderstorm that blows in on a hot July afternoon. These decisions that we are forced in, these situations that we are pressed in or pushed in, we have to make a decision in a split moment. And when we do, we've got to realize that there are people around us that have watched us and that are watching us. And so it really, really matters how I react. It really matters how I respond. Sometimes these these situations, they leave us disoriented and bewildered and, and they happen so quick and they're immediate and they're sudden and I have no time for counsel. I have no time for advice. Sometimes I even have no time for prayer and I'm hurled into this situation of uncertainty And only instinct will determine if I land on my feet or not. How do we respond when everything? goes haywire. How are we going to act on the job when it don't go just like we want it to go and everybody stands by watching? How do we act in the restaurant when the waitress accidentally spills something on us? How, how do we respond to that? How do we live out day-to-day situations that take place in our life when we're not sitting in the confines of this sanctuary? Philippians 4 uh, I'll read that again, four and four. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. How can Paul tell us how we should be acting? Here is a man from the midst of a hopeless situation. He's found himself in prison. He's uh, behind bars. There's no promise for his future. He's in this horrid captive condition, and he literally commands and states to rejoice. And why would Paul utter the words rejoice? Because he knew, just like you and I should know, that because the Lord's coming is near, that's why we can rejoice. Because in light of eternity and the sufferings of this present life or this present state, there's not anything, anything that takes place on this earth or in my life that I can compare to my future with him. When we talk about eternity, we have no idea what that means. Because when I say the word eternity, everyone in here that is paying attention to me is trying to put a timetable on eternity. And you can't put a timetable on eternity. It goes on and on. Eternity was here before I got here, Brother Rayleigh. And eternity will be here when I'm gone. Eternity is forever. And until we really truly understand as men and women of God the validity of eternity in our life, then and only then can we understand how important it is not to let ourselves get so entangled, so wound up in the ways of this world. We have an obligation. For some, when we speak of eternity, it makes them a little bit more nervous. And for some, it makes them where perhaps they they cannot sleep and they get worried and they get caught up in the pressures of this life when we talk about eternity but the word of God has an answer for you and I and if we're going to be successful at reacting the right way in this life there are three things that we must practice number one is right praying right thinking and right living and I know that everyone here has heard this before but just bear me a few minutes this evening to remind us that sometimes we want to skip to step two because Right thinking, there's a lot of people thinking wrong and we want to jump to step three because there's a lot of people that are doing some wrong living and we're so quick to point fingers and we're so quick to pick out all the flaws. But I submit to you this evening that there is the possibility and it happens in my life and I'm sure that at some point in your life you have faced this before but there is such a thing as wrong praying and we have to practice right praying. James said in 4 and 3, ask... And you receive not because she ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. And I refer back to Philippians 4 and 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your request be made made known to God. Paul is saying don't, don't let anything, let me sum this up right here what he said. He said don't let anything in life seem so let it seem so insignificant that it's not important to God. God cares about the little things. He he cares about the little things in our lives. So he says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. He encourages us not to worry about anything. And in one broad stroke of a pen, he models a mastery over the small stuff that is backed up by specific instructions. Unavailable to persons outside this powerful faith that that he is promoting. Paul says simply, "Pray about everything," and he teaches us, teaches us that worry isn't worth the effort. Goodness knows, worry requires a lot of effort. I uh, I, I struggle with worry, and uh, I fall into a worry category. My my mother refers to it sometimes as a worry wart. And I reckon that's what I would be. I find myself all the time worrying about things that I can't change. I once heard a person say that a day of worry is more exhausting than a day of work. Someone else has said that worry is wasting today's time cluttering up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. So Paul says, put your energy where it can really really do some good. Pray passionately about whatever it is that concerns you. If there's something that that you're drawn to, then we need to learn to pray passionately about that. Paul gives us an example. He said, don't be careful or anxious about anything else. Don't worry, but turn your worries into prayer. And if you start to worry, stop and pray. And sometimes that seems so easy when the worry comes the natural tendency the thing to do is not to pray I don't want to pray right now because I'm worried I just want to keep worrying and what I need to learn how to do is pray and leave the worry into God he'll take care of whatever it is in my life you know sometimes it's so easy I won't cast you in the same pot with me but it's so easy for me sometimes to forget about just how big God is and I got this big old problem here that ain't nobody else ever had to deal with. And this big old God up there, he ain't never done nothing like this. And I have to remind myself that he's, he's big enough to handle any little old insignificant thing that comes my way. He's a big enough God to handle it. And when our knees begin to buckle or we begin to worry, we have got to pray intentionally. As I contemplate the greatness of God, I see my problems in their corresponding smallness. He's, like I said, he's a big God, and these small problems are nothing for him. When we talk about the Lord's Prayer, it's so easy, and it kind of rolls off the tongue so easy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and that's so easy to say sometimes, but if we change that around just a little bit into our modern vernacular, what what that would really say is, if, if what I'm about to pray to you, God, if what I'm about to pray is outside of your will, overrule it. If I'm praying for this job, Lord, and it's not in your will, I want you to overrule it. If I want to be a missionary to Poland, and it's not in your will, God, I want you to overrule it. If I want a brand new four-wheel drive pickup truck and it's not in your will, God, I want you to overrule it. He cares about the small things. He cares about the small things. It's really, again, it's really easy to roll it off the tongue. The kingdom come, thy will be done. But when we really think about what that prayer represents, it's important to understand. Many times our communication with God can be compared to a football play called the Hail Mary. Has anybody ever heard of the Hail Mary? If you're not familiar with the Hail Mary, at the end of the game when there's nothing else you can do, you just throw it up to the end zone and hope for the best. And, And I'm guilty of this because I'm a fixer. I like to fix things. If something's wrong, I want to fix it. And what we gotta learn, what I gotta learn, is is I can't wait, brother. Right, let prayer be the last option. I can't wait till I can't fix it anymore. I can't do nothing with it, and then I then I back up and say, okay, God, this is yours. I've got to learn from the very beginning, from the very onslaught in in the in the beginning of the situation. I got to say, Lord, this is yours, and I want you to take it from me. Prayer is our first option. It's our every time option. The promise for those who pray right, we're all so familiar with this is the peace of God that passes all understanding verse seven and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through jesus christ when when items are compared they have they have like varying levels, and so paul he's he's fixing to compare something here, and we've got to pay attention because. He's going, to, he's going to compare something that's greater. It's similar to, but it's greater. It would be something like uh, if I said T-bone, or if I said sirloin, or if I said New York strip, or if I said filet mignon. They're all steaks, but as we increase, that one keeps getting better than the other one. And so what Paul is doing, he's saying, I'm going to give you a piece of God, that passes all understanding now you and i can have our own understanding we can we can view how we understand this word we can we can view how we understand the situation we're in or we can have god's peace and it's the peace of god that will keep us it's the peace of god that will give us understanding The word keep there in Hebrew is a military term and it's defined as a garrison. And so what that means is God's peace will stand guard. It's going to stand guard over your heart and your mind. Very similar to Daniel. See, he wasn't embarrassed about praying and the opinions of actions and others didn't affect him. Uh, he was not one least bit ashamed because someone might make fun of his praying. Matter of fact, he would pray more. And so when this particular situation come up against Daniel, when he was about to be faced with the lions and he just prayed more, and who was it that worried and stayed up all night with no sleep? The king. Daniel slept. Guarded by lines. So when, when, when we have the peace of God that's with us, um, it creates something in us that allows the worry to fade away. Not that the problems are gone. Not that the struggles of life are not real and we don't have to deal with them. But when we have the peace of God in our life, he gives us the ability to deal with things and react to them the right way. He said, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That's found in Isaiah chapter 26 in verse 3. Isaiah said if you'll keep your mind on God and if you'll trust in him, he's going to give you some perfect peace. And sometimes we, let me say sometimes I have to quit playing the what if game and 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 cast down some things. Well, you know, it was, well, what if this or what if that? I can't worry about the what-ifs, and all I can deal with is the present, what I'm dealing with today, and what God can help me with today. Paul also told the Corinthians church in 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into the captivity of every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now this may be a little transparent and if I offend someone, forgive me, but sometimes I have to talk to myself. You know if something you know if something pops in my head, I ain't got no clue where that come from. And I'm not necessarily talking about something evil, but that's I have to get my mind right, Brother Junior, and I have to say, now, Jerry, where, where's your head at? You you need to get off of that and get back over here and and find yourself back on top dead center. David, I know that David talked to himself because they was about ready to stone him at Ziglag, and the Word of God said that he encouraged. I believe he just talked himself back up, and everybody thought he was no good account nothing, but David said different. God can give us that ability even when... When everything around is failing and falling, we can still keep ourselves built up if we refuse to think about the future in negative terms. i seen this chart here a while back. It was called a worry meter. A worry meter. It it was made up of a hundred percentile, and it says we worry about things that never happen. Forty percent. So 40% of the things that we worry about Never happen. Things that can't be changed by worry. So there's things that we worry about that can't be changed by worry, but we still worry. And that equaled up to thirty for five percent. So now we're at seventy-five percent. Says things that turn out better than expected. Things that we was worrying about that really come out okay is about fifteen percent. So now we're at 90%. It says the petty, insignificant fretting, the little things that we worried and fretted about, about 8%. And the legitimate cause and concerns that make up our life are about 2% that we really worry about. 98% of what we worry about, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, doesn't even really matter. It doesn't even really matter. Philippians 4 and 8 said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. I like to sum that up like this. If there's anything good, think on it. If there's anything good in your life, think on it. When ain't nothing else going right and everything else is falling around me, I can think of that lovely lady right there and it makes everything a okay. Even on the worst day, even on the worst day, everything is better. The enemy will make sure. I promise you, uh, seasoned saints of God, know this for sure. The enemy will make sure that there are plenty of thoughts out there that will get your attention. And I'm not just talking about sinful and evil, but the, the world has a, has a unique way of, of clouding our view and, and distracting and disorienting us. Philippians 4 and 9 says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen and may do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You can't separate outward action Inward thinking, in other words, what's on the inside will eventually make its way to the surface. I can fool anybody in this house for a long time, but eventually, I can't even fool you because what continues to grow and fester and eat at me in here will be how I respond and how I react. Uh, the ugly can't help but coming out. And if it's not right thinking, if it's not biblical thinking, then more often than not, there's going to be some sin that results. Isaiah said this in 57 and 20. He said he gave a description of people who don't believe in the Lord. He, he says, there's no peace. And i think about that for a minute. No peace for the wicked. Even in the midst of turmoil. Even when things aren't right. You and I as children of God can have a peace that passes all understanding. In closing this evening, I pose this question. And musicians, you can you can just stay where you are if you will. I pose this question to you and I this evening. Do we have that peace or is our life in constant turmoil? I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost because you can... Be filled with the Holy Ghost and have no peace. I'm talking about the peace of God that overwhelms us, that secures us in the midnight hour when the storm is raging. Do we have that peace that we've talked about this evening that is only set aside For the children of God. The scriptures that we dealt with is concerning with those who are already born again and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And before you can apply these principles, a relationship must first be developed with the Lord. There are many promises that are only activated when we have a relationship with the Lord. This Bible is full of promises, but they don't apply. If you're not a child of God, they do not apply. Before we can have the peace of God, before I can have the peace of God, I've got to have peace with God. A boat can be floating on billions of gallons of water, or it can even be floating on all the water in the world. And it will never sink unless it lets the water inside. And you and I can be facing all of the hardships of this world. Whatever this life may throw at us, we can stand firm against it. And we might wear pretty thin, but it will not destroy us unless we let it in. If we don't let it in and we keep that guard with that peace of God, we have to guard ourselves and we've got to take caution and we've got to take action because how we... React to situations in this life there there are those that we're trying to be an example for. I told our young people I told our young people Sunday, and I don't know if my mother uh, coined this phrase, but she's the one I first heard it from, and she still reminds me of it from time to time. but how many's got friends that may never come to church? We all do. How many's got friends that may never read a Bible? We all do. You and I may be the only Bible that they will ever see. So how can we validate what we preach and what we teach when we allow ourselves in situations just to fly off the handle? How can we represent the kingdom of God when we can't even control our own self? It really matters how we conduct ourselves, and it really matters uh, what, what we do for the kingdom. As we stand across this house this evening, thank you for your patience this evening. You have been so kind.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.